0: Welcome to this week's episode of Shitty Christians. I'm your host, Michael Tabor.
1: I'm Zachary Allard, and this week we have a guest, Michael.
0: Yes, we do. We are thrilled to be joined by sociology professor and reigning champion of the Facebook post, Kim Q Sweater. Welcome to Shitty Christians.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm super stoked to get to talk to you all a little bit and have like a non-Facebook um, you know, post-level discussion about one of my favorite things to rage about, purity culture.
1: I am going to be as angry about it as I would be on a Facebook post.
0: I'm going to try to turn this into an accountability group. So <laughs> this is going to be a real good time. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. So as Kim mentioned, we're gonna be talking about purity culture, one of our favorite topics here at Shitty Christians. I'm talking all the hits like, uh, you know, asking Stacy's parents permission to enter into pre courtship, uh, (laughs) confessing your specific masturbation techniques to a man with three seminary classes under his belt. Hopefully that's all that's under his belt. Uh, You know how crop tops were invented by Satan to lead an entire generation of early 2000s teens astray. I'm
1: not saying I start sweating when I hear the phrase spaghetti straps,
0: but... (laughs) (laughs) And specifically, we're going to be talking about Kim's experience uh, as a teen mother growing up in an evangelical church rife with purity culture, her experiences growing out and growing forward from that, and not just any church, dear listener, but the very same church that a young podcaster was born in uh, with nothing but a toe head of blonde hair and, and a dream of one day hosting a mid-level socialist comedy podcast. <laughs> uh, so Kim, we uh, go way back and we have a lot to cover today, but I do have one very important question to start us off. Uh, was I a cool child?
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm going to flip the script on you and whatever. Was I a cool child? Because I would say we were probably equivalent levels of coolness.
0: So not very then.
2: (laughs) (gasps) Okay. Well, this podcast is over now.
0: (laughs) Uh, Just walking off the pot immediately. I love it. No, uh, at least for me, I didn't feel like cool was on the table for me ever still today, but, uh, certainly not as a young child. Uh, but Kim, uh, I would love to talk more about, like, your experience growing up uh, and clearly the most important moment of your life uh, when you fell out of my backyard tree and broke your arm. And then me and my friend not realizing that you had (laughs) broke your arm started laughing at you, which I'm sure was great for you. And
1: in case this wasn't sick enough, the friend was the pastor's (laughs) son. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is also...
2: (laughs) Well... I'm pretty sure, so tell me if I'm wrong, Michael, but I think, was it your birthday or your sister's birthday? Somebody's birthday. You
0: know, I have, I- I have tried to block this memory from my <laughs> from my mind as much as I can. I do not recall which of the many sundry Tabor birthdays were happening at the time.
2: I feel, I'm going to go out, we'll just revisionist history yes. if this is incorrect. I think it was your birthday, and so your birthday present was laughing at me. So, Aww. you know, there was like, you you know, on you, that get-out-jail-free kind of card situation. Perfect,
0: <laughs> yeah. There's nothing that I love more yes. than laughing at people's pain. Uh, that's the essence of podcasting. So truthfully, one of the better <laughs> gifts I've ever received.
2: <laughs> yes, and I love to tell about it. I only broke my arm. And to your credit— um, one of my also favorite stories to guilt my parents about. My dad picked me up after I fell out of the tree in your yard, mm-hmm. and he he did not promptly take me to the hospital. What? Um, I was <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I believe I was threatened with punishment if we went to the hospital no. and nothing was wrong with me. So I was like, I'll what? just go home.
0: <laughs> the American healthcare then, <laughs> system is broken. This is, this is some serious dad <laughs> energy.
2: <laughs> I know. I'm also sitting across the table from my sister, who also grew up in the same family mm-hmm. as me and in the same church. And I also have a recollection of her being injured and not going to the hospital oh. after she <laughs> cut her leg open on a ladder. Oh, but man. we we turned we turned out okay. But I did. My dad did take me to the hospital later that day. <laughs> I did have a broken arm. So I did not get in trouble. And I got a cast out of it.
0: Hey, that's always cool. Uh, the cast and uh, assembling the signatures on the cast, a very important part of childhood.
2: Yes, 100%, 100%.
0: Where to even begin? Kim, maybe you can just take us through a little bit of what it was like Growing up in the church we grew up in, uh, maybe even before you hit your teen years, but just like walk me through what that was like because I have some very specific memories growing up in purity culture for what that meant for a young man. Uh, but I imagine that it's a whole other level of awful for Michael, a young woman.
1: I, we can't talk about the Victoria's Secret catalogs again. I just I can't. I, we, can't do I, it. I
0: aspired to Victoria's Secret catalogs. I got stuck with Kmart catalogs. That was that was a whole different level. <laughs> oh man, that shit was sad. Yes.
1: <laughs>
2: yes. Oh, my gosh. Are you a boy raised in evangelical circles if you didn't, like, at least sneak, like, the Sears catalog to look at, like, grannies in their white underwear? Mm. So, like, I mean, I think that, like, it caused desperation for pretty much every male I've ever met <laughs> <laughs> grew
1: up Kirkland brand underwear, man. You know, yeah. it means something to <laughs> some of
0: us. I apologize, listeners. I didn't mean for this to get so erotic so fast. But... <laughs>
2: Not the Sears Roebuck lingerie. (laughs) So just like backing out a little bit, when I think about my childhood, I honestly don't think I was particularly hypercritical of some of my experiences until probably just like, I mean, it started a slow trajectory that began more political when Mm -hmm. I was in college. I did go to Christian college, Um, but it was probably just in the last three years that I was able to kind of like laser focus back to our childhood church, which I'm assuming should remain unnamed. Yeah. I think that's a Um, safe bet. We dox ourselves a lot on this (laughs) spot. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: not my childhood church. Let's fucking go. (laughs) Um,
2: Where it's, it's fascinating how really pe- people who are not malicious can end up perpetuating so much trauma. And I don't think that I realized yes. how much, like, legit trauma that I had around, especially the ideology um, and the way that it was um, taught to us. And I mean, essentially, we were indoctrinated, at least that was my experience. So deconstructing that as someone who stopped identifying as. Um, you know, evangelical by the time I was like 20, and as a Christian by the time I was in my late 20s, I was like, oh, well, it couldn't have affected me because I don't believe it anymore. Mm. And just from being in therapy and starting to dig in, I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's not how you get rid of all of that like messy, messed up ideas around sex and relationships.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't just Michael Scott declare bankruptcy and uh, move forward. <laughs> There's some work that has to go into it. <laughs> Yes. So let's talk about that indoctrination.
2: So, I mean, I think just from the get-go, growing up, just relationship modeling and some of those things there um, for girls, I don't know when it registered. Actually, I'm super curious to hear from you two about at what age you became like cognizant of some of the gender dynamics that in, in evangelical cir- circles children are socialized into. But, I mean, from the time I was... I went to Christian school. I was in at least the modesty piece of it. Like, even in kindergarten, I had to wear dresses to the school that I went to that came below my knee. Oh,
0: wow. You uh, would get
2: in trouble if it was shorter than that. You know, no sleeveless shirts. Not even spaghetti straps, y'all. No sleeveless shirts. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> <I'm> did. <dead. laughs> Nothing too tight, all of that. And it just feels normal.
1: I don't love the implication that we have to cover up those sexy five-year-olds. That makes yeah. me uncomfortable.
2: Thank you, thank you, it's a little, it's a little weird. Um, so, I mean, I would say those are like the first indoctrination level things that I just didn't question. Wow. Like, I didn't question the fact that when I was in elementary school going swimming, even with our church, that boys could have their shirts off and wear swim trunks. But, you know, we had to wear one pieces and even like at summer camps I went to and things like that, I had to wear one piece with a T-shirt over it. Yep. I don't know how Whoa. that was more modest because wet T-shirts, all right. that, uh, whatever, but. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, Um, my nipples flew free through many youth group uh, related swimming events. And
1: this podcast. (laughs) 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 Yes.
2: So, I mean, that's where I started to just internalize those ideas that I I never really questioned. I mean, I still remember even in college having friends and conversations with other women that i knew that were rooted in those kinds of ideas that just from like a modesty modesty standpoint that women were responsible for what men thought about them um and that's before you know starting to throw in relationship dynamics and you know marriage and sex and all of those other things that are very hard to untangle totally (laughs)
0: Absolutely. No, I, I, as far as like my experiences with, uh, purity culture and sort of becoming aware of it, I think, uh, as a young man, it's a slightly different thing. Cause you're, you're not, uh, taught that, that same level of responsibility for like modesty and things that doesn't exist. Um, For men. So it really didn't come to play until uh, I reached, like, kind of dating age, you know, 25. As a...
1: (laughs) One day, Michael. One day. I'll get there.
0: Like, starting to date and being told, like, oh, dating is bad or dating without the express purpose of marriage is bad. So, like, really what you need to be doing is preparing for courtship. And so, like, I didn't date in high school. I pre-courtshipped in high school.
2: Of course. I mean Josh Harris, I kissed dating goodbye oh, 100%. You, that, it's your it's your bible. How else are you going to find yourself a good wife or a good husband? So
1: true.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, and and there was so much uh, about like oh well, you know, you need to learn to bounce your eyes. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. Like and, and always with this <laughs> weird Oh yeah, bouncing your eyes so like you can you can see an attractive person <laughs> at the beach, but if you stare for more than a second it's sinful. Like that that's that's the standard. Oh so you just got to you just got to keep those eyes moving, man. Um, it's teaching you a good you shouldn't
1: stare at yeah, people, that- not in the face. That's actually true, but it's teaching you the wrong lesson <laughs> in terms of why oh, you shouldn't stare. Don't
2: yeah. get me. So one of the things that I'm really critical of when it comes to this idea, like what makes purity culture so dangerous, is that it's rooted in creating shame and guilt, mm-hmm. um, which, from like a psychological therapeutic standpoint, is probably like the worst place for people to be functioning from because it makes people make really vulnerable decisions mm. <laughs> that are not necessarily in their best interest. Mm. And what is really fascinating about especially evangelical purity culture is that notion of like quote unquote purity of mind, like on top of like not actually engaging in any kind of sex or immoral, questionable behavior. You know, there's all these like external trappings that we use to signal to each other that we're pure on top of it. There's this idea like Jesus is in your brain Mm -hmm. and he can see your heart and your mind. And if you're thinking or lusting, you've already committed that sin. Um, So like, how do you, how do you control something that's at a certain level biological (laughs) and then shame people for having hormones and interests and things like that? I'm like, um, this is setting people up to have a really great life experience.
1: (laughs) And then you have a bunch of like. 24-year-old youth group leaders who have like one and a half semesters at seminary leading a bunch of 14-year-old men talking about tits and how you should never think about them. It's all extremely normal.
0: Yeah, and then, and then those same uh, teens get married at 19 because it's the only way that they can have sex without making Jesus cry and discover that they have a lifetime of guilt and shame associated with their sexuality.
1: Oh, and then you end up in a relationship, in a marriage, that maybe wasn't predicated on the healthiest foundation. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, getting married to get laid is a good call. I think we all agree on that.
1: No. No, it's so... <laughs> no, you're right. That is our I motto. Don't... <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: for, I forgot. Yeah. Yes. I know so many, so, and herein lies the conundrum, I think especially for women, and that's who I mainly had conversations with Mm -hmm. growing up around purity culture, so I I was a fallen woman. We can talk on that in a moment. I was a teen mom, Mm -hmm. Um, but for my friends who would um, talk about these kinds of things with me in different situations growing up, I had a lot of friends who at least waited um, until, I shouldn't say a lot. I have a few friends (laughs) who waited (laughs) until they met the person that they would marry to have sex. Mm -hmm. And I think every single one of them, felt like something was wrong with them because they had been sold this idea that, you know, sex outside of marriage is bad, you know, it's gross, it's gonna make you feel exploited. Chewed gum. All men want from you is sex, 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 yes. Uh, I I think on my Facebook post, the one I had was like the unwrapped chocolate melting as it passes from hand to hand. A really beautiful metaphor for Mm -hmm. sex. Who who doesn't like (laughs) liquid chocolate, first (laughs) of (laughs) all? (laughs) Chocolate's great, all right? Yes, yes, yes. Because sex is exactly like rubbing melted chocolate from hand to hand. To Wait, hand. is it, is it so not? I'm like, Good.
0: I, I might, okay. I, I, I'm going to have to do some research. <laughs> Your poor wife. All of
2: that's what I said. <laughs> that being um, said, it was devastating for a number mm. of them to get married. And I think a lot of them, like, so backing up, another. Another element of purity culture is the idea that only men like sex, that women don't like sex. They're largely asexual. Mm -hmm. And that's the one that's true. We all agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
1: yes, That is the one buried in there. I've never seen anything.
2: A (laughs) hundred percent. But it sets up this really bizarro expectation where women girls are going through puberty and I mean, like from a biological standpoint, when people go through sexual maturity, there is for most people, of course there's diversity around how people experience sexual arousal and sexual maturity. Um, But that there is no like gender compulsion that says only males like sex and females don't. I mean, biologically evolutionarily that makes no fucking sense at all. Like how would (laughs) a species (laughs) survive if, People weren't willing to procreate to continue. Um, And so, you know, there's these girls who have to suppress all of those feelings Mm. until they get married. Like, they don't want to be dirty. They don't want to be gross. They don't want to be interested in this thing. On top of, you know, not wanting to be damaged goods, protecting their brothers from stumbling, you know, they get married and then they hate sex because that's how they made it to marriage yeah. right. <laughs> was by right. repressing these feelings that there is no magic switch when you get married that you can suddenly flip and be like okay now, now I like doing this
0: Totally. And and I think one of the weird uh, things about purity culture is that they they use sex to sell purity culture. And there's always this thing that happens (laughs) in the purity culture of just like, no, but guys, you don't understand the second that you put a ring on sex is so fucking cool. Like, it's just great. Like, it's just magic, man. Like, as long as you do it this way, it's going to be so awesome. And and they're trying it's
2: so patriarchal. It's so fucking patriarchal. It makes me so pissed off because women are not told that at no point Mm. are we ever like once you get married, you're going to get to have sex and have so much fun. It is an assumption of you don't want to have sex. And so then I going to churches as an adult have a bunch of women who really don't understand their sexuality and like have to have accountability partners not to prevent themselves from having sex like boys do growing up but to force themselves to have sex with their horny husbands who they have never been able to have authentic conversations around sexuality pleasure consent um you know and what would bring about like a fruitful relationship i mean it's just Ugh.
0: Yeah, that that's horrifying, and it and it spawns one of the most toxic elements of complementarianism, which is of course connected to all of this, which is this idea that like sex is a duty that must be performed in marriage, and specifically women get told all the time like, no, you need to provide this for your husband, whatever your own needs are, whatever you're feeling, uh, just shove that all in a corner. That's not relevant. Uh, this is this is what being married means, and I I've seen that a lot in like Christian counseling. Just uh just fucking perform. Uh, and it's, exactly. it's a really ugly. Uh, it's a really ugly solution to a, a problem that w- they created. I, I'm this
1: really sad for all these horny ladies who are being taught to hate sex. That's it's just like a really tragic story. Yeah.
2: No, it is horrible. I mean, it's so much of people's lives too that get eaten up by it because at the same time as this growth of purity culture ideology which is relatively new and distinctive to american society you know mm-hmm. over the last 50 plus years ish is that Women and men are reaching sexual maturity much younger than they ever have before and then they're getting married much later on average So, you know, when you think about even 1900 if someone was like, oh wait till you're married to have sex Well, a lot of people got married before they were 18. That was norm That was normal in our society and they also were on average especially like when you're looking at sexual maturity women weren't reaching it until 13 or 14 so Mm -hmm. now I think the average age we're down to like 10 or 11 and the average age of marriage is pushing 30 so we're like okay horny folks wait two decades yeah, yeah. two decades to <laughs> start thinking about and grappling with all of these things and then you know a lot of times i think going back to i think michael you were saying we we probably we, i know we personally know people who got married because they were pressured mm-hmm. by people that, you know, well, if you're going to have sex, it's better to just get married and have sex so that you aren't sinning, which is probably the worst advice you
1: could ever give someone.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. It's certainly up there in the pantheon of terrible advice. It's
1: and, and then these poor people can't even jack it for 20 years normally. They can't even feel good about masturbation. Tra- oh, it's so tragic. Yes. Yeah. You don't yes. even give them the yes. balm, the salve that is <laughs> masturbation. <laughs> you
2: no. Know? No. It's so true. I mean, it's like the most like uh like monk nun like, you know, <laughs> don't touch yourself. Don't think about sex. You know, like it's there's this I mean, I feel for the people who feel like like our parents and youth Mm. leaders and whoever, like on a certain level, I get that there's this idea like this is the way, right? We're going to save them from these downfalls by repression without recognizing that communication and discussion and a lot of other things would have gone way further than just like, don't do it.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's
2: gross. You'll be a used piece of chocolate. Don't touch (laughs) yourself. Have fun. (laughs) Um, So one thing though I have to ask you, Michael, um, is... Did you, did you sign a pledge? Did you do the True Love Weight stuff? I don't remember, like, because I think I was a year or two ahead of you in youth group. So mm-hmm, I'm like, mm-hmm. I remembered, I, I, I had to sign a few at a few different <laughs>
0: conferences. You had to re up your membership.
2: I mean, how many times did you get saved? I probably oh. got saved like 17 times just in case. Yeah,
0: I'm going to approximately 1500 heavens at this point. That was that was definitely you <laughs> t- want to talk about.
1: That's one thing I didn't do. Really? No, I only did the one thing. No, my I, my th- parents were good about that one thing.
0: It was it was you want to talk about like fear and guilt and shame, this idea that like, you know, you would do x y and z, you know, shove your brother, uh play with your video game too long, you're like, better get resaved just in case. Just got to just got to top that up. Uh, I, you know, as far as the purity pledges, I don't know that I ever did.
1: Oh, I signed a purity did card. Did you? I, have, I, I, I don't have a right now but I have it probably somewhere I definitely like signed a card that like went in your billfold this yeah sort of yes. Card. yes
0: yes being taught that you can't trust your mind that your mind is this dangerous thing that you need to constantly be on guard against your own thoughts and like treat yourself like a wild animal that you must try to beat into submission at every point uh, without actually doing any beating Hey-o. as we talked about Uh that that was all very present I um, want to I want to be clear here I have not violated my purity pledge but <laughs>
1: Not because of purity culture. Yeah. No
0: one will have sex with me. I'm really looking for
1: someone to help me violate that pledge,
0: but there have been no takers. Put the, putting the call out on the podcast. Yeah, I just
1: want to be clear about that right now while I've got you all here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I... Part of me, one of the reasons that I wanted to ask is it's really fascinating to me because, like, when I've been processing with people that I knew and grew up with or who grew up in similar type circles, Mm -hmm. for the guys I talk to, there's way less, like, most of them are like, maybe I signed a card or something. I don't remember a lot. And it was like an event in my life. You know, like, I mean, as a female, there's like, it's it's creepy like I don't want to go too far down there because I do love my parents but I'm also like Woo! Like that was a little weird. Like when you pull your kid aside and are like, please pledge before God and your father that you will remain pure until you're married. Like some, like I'm a horse or something, you know, getting
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh,
2: passed off to somebody else.
1: True story. She is not a horse. She's a, she's
0: a person. <laughs> she's a person. Well, well, th- well
1: actually, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I no. feel so stupid now.
0: Uh, we're This is now a brony cast. We're going to get deep on some, my little pony lore. <laughs> yeah no the the father element of that is really interesting and we don't have to delve into your specifics too much but it was definitely a thing i mean it is evangelical cotillion i think for like yeah. women to sign yes. these pledges wear these rings i remember father-daughter purity dances being a thing oh man um
2: thankfully i don't have a memory around that good. I don't think it happened good. <laughs> Repression, <is good>. yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I totally had a ring and a pledge and all of that it was a, it was a thing where then in hindsight I'm like Ugh. but I mean that is such too tied up a little bit in like the courtship ideals of like just parent the idea mm-hmm. of parental involvement being so high yeah. in um, partnering and dating and marriage and all of that
0: yeah and and what's crazy about that is parents having conversations with their kids about relationships wants needs like all of these things could be good you could do this good yeah, so sex education yes. is an important thing my goodness like, uh, So the oh idea that, my like, god yes <laughs> you're expending all of this energy and thought into like you know training your children's sexuality and doing it so poorly is is really upsetting like you're putting in the work just do it better like
1: well, that goes back Magical to the earlier thinking. point.
0: Well-intentioned people, like yeah,
1: like, you know, like- no, I
0: think that's a great point because I agree. Most of the people we grew up with, at least in my experience, we'll get to yours more specifically. I think uh, in a second, but it's not that these people were villains. Like the people that were were leading these youth groups and and instructing, it's not that they they had bought the bullshit too. I mean, they they thought that they were being good spiritual leaders, and their intentions, I think, largely were good. Uh, and yet, the end result was just a a ton of trauma and harm um, that I think everyone I've talked to that has come through either our specific upbringing or one similar has had to process in some way. Uh, and pretty much nobody has, has doubled down on. Like I think it was such an unsustainable model. I'm sure those people exist, but like nobody that I knew that grew up in purity culture uh, holds to any of those values anymore because just how could you, like how could you make it through that, come out the other side and be like, fuck yeah, double down, let's go.
2: Yes, no, it is just so fucked up. And I mean, I know you saw, I made a post about this for the podcast listeners um, probably about a month ago, and a number of people that I know, Michael and I both know growing mm-hmm. up, were like, either actively deconstructing it or I don't think it had occurred to them that some of their issues might be related to it. But I don't know anyone who's like, yes, purity culture really served me well and saved me from a lot of issues. Most of them are like, it messed with my head.
0: Totally. <laughs> so it's, it is, it's, it's the only fucking it's doing is mind fucking.
2: <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, it is. It is a giant mind fuck because it is, t- it, I mean, it is an intense teaching of, and you touched on this a few minutes ago, of distrusting yourself, Mm -hmm. distrusting your mind, distrusting your desires, um, you know, in that whatever you want in a lot of ways just shouldn't ever happen, which isn't a healthy way to view sexuality on either side, right? Because it reduces women to commodities and men to, at the worst end of things, rapists. I mean, and there's a lot of middle ground between the two. It's offensive to everybody.
0: Yeah, the, uh, it doesn't work for anyone. Like, uh, obviously, I, I think it, it's more than fair to say that women always, and specifically with this, get, get far worse treatment under purity culture. But it's, it's not like it's working out well for men either. Like, this is toxic theology all the way down. Um, so maybe let's transition at this point to talking a little bit more about your experiences once you were a teen mother and, and what how the church reacted, how you grew forth from that. Like, uh, what was that like?
2: Oh my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> um I have essentially realized in the last few years that like my life's big trauma um is being a teen mom. That isn't to say my life's big trauma is my daughter because mm-hmm. she's amazing. Yeah. Um and she and I have talked and deconstructed stuff as well. But the circumstances in whence in which I had her were very, very traumatic. Um Because of how other people were treating me. Mm -hmm. So um, I grew up, you know, indoctrinated, going to Christian schools. I was homeschooled for a while. Um, I did not have any legitimate sex education. Mm -hmm. I mean, arguably in purity culture you get talked to about sex maybe more mm-hmm. than <laughs> most people um but it's in like a fire brimstone terrifying kind of sense yeah. like but you find, always be on the lookout for the boogeyman
1: but you find yourself wondering particularly pre you know internet being everywhere being like yeah but how does it work <laughs> i'm asking for a friend <laughs>
0: I uh, I have yes. heard stories of, of seminary couples who have got married without understanding the very basic mechanics of sex to the point where one of their seminary professors had to encourage uh, movement post-penetration. Uh, yes. And that was told as like a cutesy story, like, ha isn't that so funny? Uh, but the reality is that is fucking horrifying that you can make it into marriage without understanding even what sex functions at I'm taking notes. <laughs>
2: Yes. Yes, it does require movement, just so you know. Okay. Um, Cool. Cool. Check. All right. Yes. So I didn't have any legitimate sex education. Um, I remember being given a Christian book that talked about the basic mechanics. So I did understand the basic mechanics, at least. Um, But I had, like, hilarious ideas well into being a teenager that I'm, like, embarrassed to – name because of how little sex education I had like to like I did not understand um, ejaculation I did not understand um, how that related to pregnancy Mm. I did not understand like I mean it was all just like this mystery Mm -hmm. to me Um, so then I was probably about 16 and I went through my little rebellious phase. Um, you know, I drank a little, smoked a little, um, (laughs) I know, I know the bad kid for sure. But in a lot of ways, um, the setup leading up to it, something that I know a number of other girls dealt with, um, is that I developed early. So Mm. I got boobs early and they weren't totally small. Um, and so I got a lot of attention, like, in youth group and other stuff, and I was constantly having youth group leaders, Sunday school teachers, pull me aside and suggest that I wear looser shirts and that I was oh distracting God. the oh boys. No. Um, so I always felt a little, like, I don't even know what the word <laughs> like a temptress, even though I didn't, like, I couldn't help it, right? Like,
1: it was just my... <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. For for no other reason than your body existing, you become uh, this locus of, like, you are now responsible for all of these fucking idiots. And having been a, a youth group idiot, that's a terrifying thought. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes. So I was, like, primed to be in this weird situation of being viewed by... Adults Ugh. through a sexualized yeah. lens mm. because of purity culture. Not good. Um, while being pretty innocent myself mm-hmm. um, and then not being given a lot of education and then the way that I was being treated, at a certain point, I felt kind of alienated from other girls in the youth group um, because of some of the ways that I was being treated, honestly, by the adults and kind of that gender dynamic setup of... God, that's know, horrifying. Like, <laughs> um. And so it was, it was pretty toxic beforehand. Yeah. And that really set the stage for, um, when I, I had my first boyfriend and the first time that I had sex, I got pregnant.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> I know.
2: Oh my it's gosh. like a, but, but y'all, but y'all, um, <laughs> um, um, so think about this through the lens of purity culture, where yeah. to me, I had just sinned and God was punishing me by making me pregnant.
0: Oh, cool. Oh, no,
1: um, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then, of course, the next year plus of my life, I was literally, it was a giant punishment, right? Like yeah. the dude's not, nobody knows, like he's living his best life. Ugh. I am at a certain point, visibly pregnant, you know, and I couldn't hide from you know people's you know constant commentary around it. Oh, I mean no. I won't name names, but like my even my parents were sh- they were um, shunned by people wow. at our church. Wow, because I was pregnant. Yeah.
0: That is so um, upsetting. Not surprising but <laughs> yes. so upsetting.
2: Yes. Um and so it becomes like a a cancer, right? Like everybody thinks it might be contagious, and so I was this pariah who you know people didn't want to touch or be around. Um, especially like adults, they didn't want their kids around me because you know I would taint them, you know, with my sinful oh my God. behavior. You, and if then, you bump your um, stomach
0: against them, they get pregnant. That's that's <laughs> how that works. Just like babies just flying out everywhere. <laughs>
2: Yes. And then at the same time, you know, like it's I'm tre- like in a lot like I mean, my pregnancy was largely treated by many people in my life as a punishment from God. Of course, I was given no options. Right. Like yeah. you keep the baby mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. That's it. Um, you know, and I just I didn't have I didn't do any research. I didn't whatever. Actually, I take it back. My mom did take me to a crisis pregnancy center in which the first time I was there, they put a lot a binder full of adoptive parents in my lap and were like pick out some family for your baby oh god. your white baby oh my god <laughs> they literally asked if the baby's father was white and then we're like oh people be real yeah they are- you'll have no problem finding someone to adopt your baby the
1: only thing i'll say not in defense of that obviously <laughs> the only thing i'll say is that is true of both christian and non-christian adopting agencies <laughs> Yeah, we could
0: do but a whole episode. But it was an adoption. On, yeah. It
2: wasn't an right, adoption right. agency. No. It was a crisis That's... pregnancy center.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, we could do oh a whole gosh. episode on crisis pregnancy centers, the ways that, like, churches have created these things to uh, militantly and virulently fight against abortion rights while claiming that yes. this is caring for uh, young parents. It, it is It is a whole level of grift and absurdity. Uh, uh, we also no, love, it's a abortion
1: to abortion get... on this podcast. Yeah, Um
2: Yes. I'm pro-choice. But yeah, I mean, the Pregnancy Life Care Center places, it is a total grift. Um, But yeah, so I get pregnant um you know the first time i have sex i'm treated like you know this is a punishment from god and then in a lot of ways there was this intense pressure from external folks for me to be turned into like this redemption story um no. and so yeah there was a lot of pressure like i'm not shitting y'all of people encouraging me while i was still pregnant to take a pledge of a second virginity no um, no, um, so no, fucking way. no. <laughs> Just Google this. This is a real thing, like I'm that they try and sell. It. It's Probably not a real thing. Are- <laughs> like, I'm familiar. Um, but it's still. Um, fake. Yeah. I would like to take a moment to like. Uh, this is my favorite platform stance, and I when I teach my classes, virginity isn't even a real thing. No, it is, it is not, not a concept. Like it is a made up thing to begin with, <laughs> and that therein lies the problem with purity culture too. Going off a little bit on a tangent, but on something that I think is really, really important from like an exploitation and abuse standpoint Mm -hmm. is if you teach people that virginity is real and that for especially females losing their virginity, you know, makes them somehow less valuable. Women who are raped, Children who are sexually abused or exploited, all of those people, it sets up the most dangerous, toxic ideas to hide it, right? Because you don't want to somehow be blamed for that behavior happening to you and then suddenly have this scarlet letter. And as someone who couldn't hide from that scarlet letter in my experiences, it gave me PTSD. Like that's how yeah. significant the trauma is that I went through.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. And to be clear, like that sort of blaming people for abuse that they have encountered happens like that is that is not that is not exaggeration. That is that is quite normative in certain segments of, of culture and specifically evangelical culture.
2: Oh, absolutely. My um, ex-husband, he's talked about this publicly, so it, it won't be a problem for me to bring it up. But he, a part of our relationship was plagued with infidelity. That led to our divorce. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the early counseling and resources that we received, because we both grew up evangelical, um, in a lot of ways, all the work was on me
1: yeah. <laughs> as oh, yeah. the
2: person who wow. wasn't cheating. Like, well, you aren't giving your husband good enough blow jobs, or you should be doing, I mean, it's just a lot of stuff where I'm like, you clearly don't don't know me and that's not what's going on here and also like but it creates that idea when you've been growing up in this environment where you're just a sexual commodity that's your whole value that you start to question and you're like well maybe I should I should be doing better here Um, and you know of course I don't buy into that ideology anymore but it is amazing how toxic and pervasive it can be even when you're like I don't believe this anymore because it's a reflex it's just the foundational concept that you're programmed with when you've grown up in those kind of environments. Yeah.
0: And I I think a lot of people, when they're struggling with something like that, worry about like, oh, did I do something to cause this? Mm -hmm. And then you have a spiritual authority in your life being like, yes, you did. This is on you. just fucking horrifying it's plaguing on like insecurities that exist in everyone and then reifying them and building them up into a whole theology of sexuality that is just so fucking ugly
1: I think it speaks to something we actually haven't touched on this podcast really is how like purity culture follows you into marriage and beyond yeah you know how this is like a lifelong thing that that you're talking about I I think it's really fascinating and and awful yes
2: no I mean you can be agnostic and (laughs) you know way past something and still I'll be like oh my gosh like this is a lens that I view the world through just as a reflex and I have to make it conscious and intentionally every day start deconstructing it because it's just present it's there it's just the default programming that I went through
0: and it started when you were five years old being told to wear skirts below the knee that's
2: yes yes I mean and in some ways it probably started beforehand and I just didn't see it right you know you don't totally name something until later where it's like oh you know like I didn't I didn't view wearing a t-shirt over my swimsuit as a part of any part of my sexuality when it happened but Mm -hmm, you know then you mm -hmm. look back and you're like all of these little messages are teaching girls who have not even reached sexual maturity that they are commodities that they totally. could tempt boys or men um you know and going back full circle it's a very creepy level and it's offensive to men <laughs> like yep. why should five-year-olds need to wear long skirts yep i don't know i won't answer that but
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes yeah. uh, there should problematic. Not be a reason and if there is the child is not the problem
2: thank you <laughs>
0: and also something that we sort of talked around but haven't directly adjusted is how fucking heteronormative it is and how insanely toxic it is. Like, you know, this was horrible for... for, everyone that I grew up with, but God forbid, you know, somebody uh, who has different sexuality, who is totally outside there, there is no version of this. They, they have no promise. And there's nothing that they are being told they can do except feel this shame forever.
2: Oh my fucking God. Yes. I mean, it just compounds issues on top of issues on top of issues. Um, you know, and it goes back to that touch point earlier of like, if your motivator is shame and guilt, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not going to produce good results. Nope. Just end of, end of the story no matter what it is you're trying to get a person
1: to do
0: and trust me I have tried <laughs>
1: I'm right here Michael
0: <laughs> <laughs> no I, I oh my- in some of my conversations with my parents as adults where we've talked about this and and I am grateful to have a pretty close relationship with my parents working we can at least have these discussions I think one of the things that they were are continually staggered by is how much of our childhood was shame and guilt. Uh, and it's just kind of fascinating to watch them be like, oh, wow, we just, we did not know.
2: Yes, no. And I mean, it's just, it's everything. I mean, and I mean, it starts with a foundational Tenant of when you're looking at, especially like fire and brimstoney type evangelicalism, which Michael and I's church wasn't that. It was like the lighter version yeah. of it. But I went to a school that was very fire brimstone. They were Free Will Baptist. Oh, wow. Um, which, hilariously, Free Will Baptist's name is extremely misleading. Um, they're way more <laughs> repressive and prescriptive <laughs> than. <laughs> than other flavors of Baptists. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But, I mean, when the whole situation is set up in a fear of eternal damnation from the time that you're a child, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's a pretty big fear motivator for sure. It's one of the reasons why I don't like either sets of grandparents to talk to my kids about hell in general because I'm like, I don't want them making decisions, um, you know, where their whole moral code is just based on a phobia of burning and eternity. (laughs) like, I want them to be good people.
1: I'm sorry. I just don't buy any doctrine of, like, Christianity that's, like, what kids do means whether they're yeah. going to hell or not. Like, that's just already so nonsensical. Uh,
0: without getting <laughs> too specific, uh, specific, I've had conversations with family members that have struggled with that exact thing. This idea that, like, like hell being such an ever-present fear in their childhood. And, like, it ultimately, like, poisoned them on the concept of any of this, as it should, because that's fucking toxic.
2: Yes, I mean, when you're told um, in some traditions at least in my religious upbringing that you are sinful from the time that you're born
0: yeah oh yeah yeah
2: that's all that's kind of crazy no
0: it's so bizarre because like you know the pro-life argument is always like oh babies are sweet and so pure but also your baby is a punishment from god for your sin and also all babies are doomed (laughs) to hell if they make it out of the womb except maybe there's like a grace period of like two weeks i don't know like it's original sin is such a fucking and and i'm sorry if
1: original sin is real then we're all going to it, baby it's the only proper response
2: yeah <laughs> no. no i mean it is it i mean developmentally like i mean there's so many loopholes and i was always the kid who was precocious and had questions like what what age are you responsible oh,
0: <laughs> have we, i reached <laughs> the
2: cutoff point i, I have you not know?
1: i want to be extremely clear have
0: not hit yeah. the age of accountability yeah, that's yet. right that's right <laughs> zach's gunning for that being like 45 for sure <laughs> <laughs>
2: Good. I still have some time.
0: Yes. Then. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk. So you're 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 pregnant. You have been branded with the scarlet letter. You are dealing with uh, shame coming at you from, you know, you're an entire church. Basically, at least for me, you know, the vast majority of my social upbringing was sort of organized around that church. Um And so, like, how how did that happen, like, once you had had this child that you were now raising? And how did you grow uh, to get you to where you are today, where you're at least uh, aware and actively working against uh, the evil shit we were all indoctrinated with?
2: Yes, totally. Um, And this is something that I've thought a lot about and I think is really fascinating because my response to... The shaming um, and the guilt around what happened produced a lot of good results. Mm. I wanted to run away. That was a, essentially what I wanted to do. So a lot of my motivators were like the situation for the first two years. So I had I had uh, my daughter um, right after my 17th birthday. Um, and I finished high school early. So I lived with my parents for about a year. Um, and it was torturous. Like I was still going to our church sometimes. I hated going. I was – my relationship with my parents was complicated. Um, it's it's a, it's a complicated relationship. I love them, but you know they were still guilting me into going to church. And even at seventeen, as a mom, I didn't feel like I could say no. Mm. And so I hated going i would like sit in the back and people would come over and they'd want to pray for me i felt like a pity a pity case um you know the whole thing was just really sad i didn't have any help um people my friends that i had had as part of that social life growing up were largely not allowed to associate with me Mm. anymore because you know i was these tainted goods and then you know there's this ever looming thing over my head of being in a Christian circle, realizing that I was damaged to goods and tainted and this fear of like, who's ever going to want to be with me? You mm. know, like I'm never going to be able to get a husband and my whole life had been set up as that's my life goal. Yeah. Right. I mean, totally. part mm-hmm. of our church, I don't know, Michael, if you've talked about this on this podcast, but part of our church broke off into what I call a cult. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. And. It took some of these ideas to the extreme where girls were not allowed to go to college. Mm -hmm. You know, their whole identity was, you know, stay at home with their dads who were their keepers until, you know, they had essentially an arranged marriage with somebody that their parents picked out. Um, so all of that ideology really set me up into this space of being like, I've got to get the fuck out of here and have some kind of fresh start because like, I like can't, I will never be able to exist, you know, in this environment and move forward with my life. So there's quite literally I ended no up,
0: space for you here. Yeah.
2: Yes. So I left, I moved by myself with my daughter to a different state to go to college, um, and I went to a Christian college, but it was a much more progressive denomination. It's where I became a Christian socialist, if you will. Um, you know, it started. And
0: worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck those people. <laughs>
2: oh, I mean, I'm still a socialist. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you got the important part.
2: <laughs> but I started reading it and I was like, well, Jesus, the, the Jesus they've been talking to me about. He seems kind of radical.
1: Um, so. he seems like a cool dude who wants to redistribute. Look, we're not Christian socialists. We're Christian communists. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, my bad, my bad.
2: So I, you know, moved away um, and went to college. So mm-hmm. that was good, right? I mean, yeah. I that changed my life. I was able to have an outcome unlike a lot of other teen moms, where I got an education. I've had a successful career. Even as a dirty, broken, <laughs> smushy piece of chocolate, <laughs> I did get married.
0: This Hershey's bar went places, damn it.
2: <laughs> yes, it did. Even without my wrapper. Um, and so
1: <laughs> it's weird it never, that, they never taught you about the wrapper. Yeah, that was the problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's weird that every yes. Hershey's bar comes wrapped in a hymen. I, I just I'm just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. (laughs) Uh,
0: Sorry, Kim's mom. You're the best.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Sorry, mom. Um, But yeah. So things turned out good. I went to grad school. And so, you know, that is what helped me gain a sense of identity that was still externally focused. So I've done some deconstruction around it, but it shifted it from that scarlet letter feeling to suddenly it's like teen mom hero. Mm. Um, so at that point in time, some people stopped shunning my parents because maybe they weren't the worst parents ever. And I turned out okay. Or they got teenagers and realized, Oh shit. Teenagers <laughs> are teenagers. Um, yeah. And one of I- the interesting <laughs> things
0: about our church is like uh, our parents were in early. It was a pretty young church. I know. I know. My parents were like founding members of it, and so you were like the first wave of teens to come through that church. Yep. And I think, I think uh, you know, I, this is in no way a justification, but like, you, I think you got the worst of it because I think a lot of people were operating from limited uh, knowledge. And listen, it was still toxic all the way down. But it, it is kind of interesting that like first first through the door uh, got every every bullet of the front line of purity culture D Day.
2: Yes. Well, and that's before the like bizarro, like youth pastors are always like <laughs> the reject pastor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> Met a few of those. <laughs> I don't
2: know, <laughs> are not always the most qualified people I think to be instilling, like to have that much power. I mean, when you talk about the church being your social life growing up, I mean, that's so true for a lot of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was at church every Sunday. I was at youth group on Wednesdays, you know, all of my trips and experiences oh, yeah. with my friends came through the church and so you know youth pastors and a school teachers hold way more sway than i think a lot of people give credit to and i think um many of them are not qualified or prepared to navigate you know the level of nuance education responsibility etc that comes from having that much power or they're on a fucking power trip you know there's yep. that too
0: mm-hmm. or or they're predators
1: or
2: all <laughs> yes. three,
0: okay, guys?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why limit it? Yeah. Yeah. Check all that apply. Oh, God.
1: Youth, youth leaders contain multitudes. Multitudes of predators. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, I mean, but the whole, like, the other thing, too, that's fascinating around it is that, um, and I was talking to uh, one of my colleagues about this the other week, that I think especially for, like, The baby boomer generation, like the idea of therapy and all of that was pretty new. So I Mm -hmm. think for a lot of them raised in fucked up situations, evangelical Christianity offered answers like it is the most black and white religion probably you can find in the united states where it's like if you do these things you will have a good life if you do these things you will have good kids if you do these things you will have a good marriage i mean it is so prescriptive and there's no nuance so i think that the people who started it were super fear-based and i think the people who took the lead are largely white men with um, narcissistic personality disorder yep. <laughs> They had this captive audience. Now we're
0: podcasters.
2: (laughs) 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 Yes. But I mean, when you look at a lot of these like mega church, you know, like evangelical, I mean, just like the rise of Trump level stuff, I mean, you're like, these dudes don't really believe this. They're on a fucking power trip where they're able to weaponize.
1: Are you saying the rise of Trump has to do with sexism?
0: What <laughs>
1: racism,
2: xenophobia?
0: <laughs> it's a whole cocktail. <laughs> all of the baby. above.
2: Once again, check all. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's such a good point. We've covered a lot of different like sex abuse scandals within the church, and I don't think it's a mistake uh, that you know purity culture goes hand in hand with this uh, like. Uh, hypersexuality of abuse—that um, like these these things are inherently abusive, even when they're not done with the intention of of creating abuse. But they also create such a fertile ground for for abusers to move and act with impunity.
2: Yes, they allow. That 100%, I think it attracts um, predators who are malicious Mm -hmm. and who are behaving intentionally. I also think that purity culture, the patriarchy, the misogyny, the secrecy, um, all of that also creates an environment where there's actually a lot of people, I'm going to say men here, but I'm sure there's women too, but to speak in gender dynamic stereotypes heteronormatively. Mm -hmm. um, But a lot of men who grow up in those environments who probably engaged in coercive and exploitative behavior, but didn't even realize it because it's a framework that's normalized yeah. by purity culture, where it's like, you're an animal and you must control yourself and blah, 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 blah. Um, and those kinds of notions are not good for mental health, either. They don't set people up for good decisions, good relationships, and good experiences in general. But
0: then you, you sort of talked about like how much more recently this process of deconstruction began, that like you really started engaging with this and like the importance of therapy to that. I'd I'd love to hear more about that.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So um, like I think I touched on a little bit, I didn't recognize the experiences that I had as a teen mom specifically as being traumatic at the time because I experienced them in real time through the lens of it being a punishment for sinning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that set me up to take Intense levels of responsibility for the situation, you know, like where I felt like I had to take care of this situation wholly by myself um, because I you know, had made this mistake that had these dire consequences. Um, And none of that is a good or healthy way to enter into, you know, parenting and raising a child and any of those other kinds of dynamics as well. So I got older, I got more mature. Like I moved into a marriage, you know, and I kind of felt like, oh, well, that's all behind me and bless my heart. That must've been hard, but I never really spent time thinking about how could this have set me up in these other environments to view my future life through this lens even though I didn't hold on to those ideologies anymore Mm. so three years ago as things in my marriage were really difficult I started going to therapy to just try and cope with that situation yeah um and a lot of that process not to go into details that derail this topic here honestly came back to purity culture a lot of my Um, Ex-husband's issues, I would say, came from being indoctrinated in a very similar environment as myself. Mm. It gave him a lot of issues around sex. It gave me a lot of issues around sex. And so it was very fascinating to me to go to a secular (laughs) therapist to try and understand this thing on my own without my husband even there and to start having someone probing around, like, well, why would you view this relationship through this lens, you know? And why would you tolerate this, or why would you view sex that way, or what mm. would your expectations around it be? Um, and so that really started me down the path of starting to reflect, re I started rereading a lot of the things that I read as a kid, like oh, wow. I kissed Dating Goodbye*. Yeah. Oh and, man, one of our um, early episodes
0: <laughs> was on Harris, uh, a grifter extraordinaire. <laughs> Um, what a, what a douche, but, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine what was it like returning to that?
2: I mean, it was really illuminating, right? Like I, I look back at things that I just accepted at face value and suddenly I was like, well, no wonder I would have these fucked up ideas or these weird undercurrent expectations or beliefs or values, um, because it was just so, much of everything that was around me it felt like you know you're when you're a fish in water you know like you just it's just there like it wasn't something I ever questioned and so going back and being like oh my gosh you know especially as a sociology professor mm. where you know I teach classes on human sexuality and on gender and society and all of those kinds of different things having a different set of theoretical lenses assumptions philosophies ideas to work with you know I'm just like ripping them apart I'm like what kind of bullshit is <laughs> yeah, this yeah. Like, it's, it's a paper it tiger it's yeah. not it's not biblical. No, no. Like, it's not. It's not. I mean, and I took a bunch of, um, you know, Bible classes and her, all that kind of stuff because I went to Christian college, you know. So it's not like it's. I hadn't read the Bible or anything. I've, I think it's fascinating, I- even if I don't sure, do it yeah. as a literal thing anymore. And so, you know, it's just it starts to fall apart where it's like, oh, my gosh, here's some person who has taken a platform and an idea and spoken it as gospel.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and made millions doing it, by the way. Made millions setting up teenagers for failures. And uh, fascinatingly with Joshua Harris, even he was just a 21-year-old idiot who got picked up and, and sort of carried by these pre-existing purity culture things. And I say that not to try to make him a victim. He had issues of covering up sex abuse in his own church years later. Like the guy's an asshole for sure. But it's crazy how like even these people that become the voices that inform uh, so much harm were themselves harmed. And, and this, this culture pre-existed. And he was very much chosen to be the white, young, pretty, handsome face of this toxic movement.
2: Absolutely. 110.
0: Oh, don't forget male. Definitely. Definitely don't forget male in that, too.
2: (laughs) Yes. Yes. God forbid we give women too much of a platform. Uh, Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Only to other women. That's okay.
0: Yeah. Well, kind of. Only sometimes. (laughs) Fucking hell. Yeah.
2: Well, yes. 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 There's a lot of nuance, and you can always be shut down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Just as a brief side note, let's just take a moment to say, if you are struggling with any of these issues, absolutely therapy is a great solution. Do not go to a biblical counselor. There, there is no such thing as a good biblical counselor. It doesn't exist. Uh, get thee to a therapist.
2: Exactly. Well, because so much of those ideas, too, from a biblical counseling standpoint to piggyback off of an emphasis there is that when it comes to purity culture, there's literally made up things like sex addiction is not sex addiction is not in the DSM. Yeah, thank Um, you. And a lot of people who I think struggle with it really just have intense shame and guilt around pretty normal behavior. I'm not saying there aren't people who don't deal with compulsive sexual issues that cause them distress. But there is no such thing as sex addiction.
0: Totally, totally. (laughs) And yeah.
2: You know, going to a therapist who might come at someone through that lens or recommend programs like, you know, the same kinds that turn gay people straight, you know, conversion therapy. Totally. None of that is real and is based in debunked science that never existed and is totally part of like a political religious agenda, I think, to take money from people above all else. Um so yeah. <laughs> all of that being said, when it comes to purity culture as like a grander arc, like of course on an individual level, I have a lot of thoughts, right? It promoted a lot of dysfunction in my life personally. Mm. Um it impacted my experiences socially, religiously, sexually. Um, it impacted my views of pregnancy and parenthood. Um, you know, when I was married and pregnant the second time inside of marriage, um, I had um Really bad in hindsight, PTSD because it was giving me constant flashbacks wow. to the experiences that I had with my first daughter. But I didn't have language around it, and I wasn't in therapy at that point in time. So I was like, maybe I have pre-postpartum depression mm. or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. I was like, I didn't have a frame of reference for recognizing how much it impacted me, even as I was living through it a second time. Wow. Um. It impacted my marriage. Um, you know, it impacted so much stuff in the grand scheme of things in my life personally. But I think in deconstructing things for myself, one of the things that I find most problematic um, is how much it has had significant impact culturally on our society. Um, because so many people went through these kinds of ideas um, in this indoctrination. I see the ways that it relates to rape culture, to like toxic masculinity, I mean, I. You know, the most recent horrific example being the shooter in Atlanta last week who believed he struggled with sex addiction, was going to an evangelical church. I mean, of course, there's racism, misogyny, you know, uh, fetishization and all of kinds of problematic stuff tied up in that shooting. But it's hard for me not to have that lens there of like this is a extreme outcome of distress people have around something that they shouldn't feel distressed about to begin with when it comes to human sexuality
0: no i, I totally agree i think i think that shooter the second that i saw that stuff just a al- lot five five alarm bells started ringing in my head uh because i just Obviously, you can't talk about this with talking about xenophobia, with talking about fetishization, particularly of Asian women in, in Western sexuality. Like, there, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, but his stated purpose was to rid himself of temptation. And the idea that women become objects of temptation that you can rid yourself of through violence and death, this is... Absolutely, inextricably tied to a culture that millions of young teens grew up in, an evangelical culture. He was going to a sex, an evangelical sex addiction treatment center and just being fed a bill of goods that taught him that masturbation was the same as relapsing on a drug.
2: Yes. Exactly. Times a million. Of course, you know, we're on the same page. It's never an excuse and there's all those other factors that are tied up in it, but pathologizing sexual behavior and using shame and guilt as motivators and preventing people from pretty normal, healthy outlets like masturbation. Like, I mean, what single dude, like that's like kind of the safest expression that you sexual feelings. And when somebody feels that guilty about it and that bent out of shape about it I mean like just how much worse does it get when you think about the other behaviors people can engage in that you know that it all becomes super pathologized Um, and when you tie that up in misogyny and the toxic levels of not toxic levels toxic masculinity as a concept where violence becomes You know the answer right you know instead of like in the bible you know the idea of like you know plucking your own eye out so you don't sin for it becomes you know like obliterate the the thing that's tempting Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. um and it's horrific and it's terrible and it's devastating um but i can't help but feel like there's a reckoning around the damage that well-intentioned people have done by perpetuating really dangerous ideas.
0: Absolutely. And I, I hope that reckoning comes. We, we call that judgment down every day, every week on this podcast. <laughs> it's really frustrating to see his church, you know, just try to wipe their social media and say like, oh, well, he's not one of us, you know, uh, when it's like, no, he, you, you made him. You made him, and you don't get to him without also being the church that says, "Hey, wear a one piece and put a T-shirt over you when you're when you're in in the yes. pool." Like the, these are the same locus combined with a thousand other equally evil things that need to be talked about with nuance. Uh, but it 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 is in fact all connected: racism, misogyny, toxic masculinity, and and sexism are all wrapped up in purity culture.
2: A hundred percent. You know, it is just a clusterfuck of all of those things rolled up into one and that in the worst eventuality of that it creates essentially all others outside of white heterosexual males Mm -hmm. you know there is no room for anyone else everyone else becomes objects people who are from other races people who are immigrants people who are part of the lbgtq community Mm, if you can't fit into these gender roles people assign for you which are only present for heterosexual males and females and females the only way you get to participate in it is if you're willing to be a commodity (laughs) instead of a human
1: yeah
2: um you know i mean it's just it's bad and the idea that it wouldn't result in violence and trauma and issues for lots of people i mean people i feel like that takes a willing um blind eye not to see the potential of that
0: Totally, totally. And and there are a lot of willing blind eyes out there. Uh, anything else you wanted to, to add?
2: I think the bigger thing that has been weighing on me is just the recognition that I think you know a lot of us who grew up in those environments um, are starting to realize like hey I had no idea that this issue that I'm dealing with now as yeah. an adult could be tied to you know weird things we may not even have conscious memories of being taught you know in youth group or Sunday school or things like that but taking the time to deconstruct those I think is really helpful for people in their marriages and in all kinds of stuff which isn't to say people can't and shouldn't have sexual ethics you know I mean people can wait until maybe marriage to have sex and I think have a healthy sexual relationship, but it Absolutely shouldn't not. be <laughs> predicated on the idea that sex is bad and that it should be prescriptive in this very, very tight View of what men and women are and who they are and how they can exist with one another.
0: Yeah, and it was always this false dichotomy that got brought up uh, when I was growing up uh, of just like either purity culture or absolute libertine, you know, nonsense. Like there was never a chance to say like any other form of sexual ethic exists outside of what we're teaching you right now. It's always like either this or you're just one of those MTV kids with your (laughs) fucking.
2: Yes, it's like that or you're a dominatrix. Like, yeah, there's yeah. no in the middle. Which, fucking cool, like, good
0: on you, but, like, just <laughs> yes. the complete unwillingness to acknowledge that anyone else in the history of humanity had ever thought about how to have, like, healthy, uh, fulfilling, pleasurable, consensual sex.
2: Yes, Totally. Well, I really appreciate you talking to me. It's been good. Sorry, my dog has lost her. mind.
0: <laughs> Do not apologize. We love dogs on the on the pod. We are always excited.
2: Um. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah. So, sometime if you ever want to talk about the cult that broke off from our church, bring. Yeah, me
0: I don't <laughs> think I've actually brought that up on the pod because that was a whole ass thing, and uh, man, uh, fucking I. It, That guy, Scott, what a fucker. Thank you so much for taking the time. I think this is uh, going to be a really uh, helpful episode for a lot of people. Everyone go to therapy. Everyone, let's get some Medicare for All so we can all go to therapy.
2: Yes, preach. Totally. Absolutely,
0: Kim, thank you <laughs> well, so thank much. Thank you so
2: much, Michael.
0: Uh, Kim, do, do you have anything you want to promote? or?
2: Yeah, no. I mean, if people especially, um, I mean, I have a soft spot ever since I made that post, especially of um, especially women reaching out to me mm-hmm. who I grew up with or who wanted just someone to talk to about resources in deconstructing some of the impacts of purity culture. So if anybody wants to look me up on social media, they're more than welcome to talk geeky with me about purity culture anytime
0: i love that all right well thank you again kim thanks for coming on we'll definitely have you back to talk about all kinds of other awful things (laughs) in the world and in in our specific church
2: (laughs) (laughs) thanks so much michael i appreciate it
0: It's hard now gonna do a quick adjustment to the volume on my end because i'm looking a little low zach could you chat for a minute i just want to see what the levels are looking like
1: hello 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 purity culture purity culture tube tops (laughs) spaghetti straps no no (laughs) (laughs) You're you're gonna
2: cause us you're gonna cause us all to sin stop